0: All right, you guys, grab your Bibles. Uh, We're going to be going to Colossians chapter 3. This morning, that's page 984 in our Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one off the chair in front of you. There should be some scattered around you there. But we're going to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. Okay? So grab the Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. Let's start reading together in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. The Word of the Lord. So today is our anniversary, as I mentioned. Uh, We met as Trailhead Church for the first time in this space, um, the second, sanu- second Sunday in, in January of, uh, of 2011. Before that, we had met for um, two years as the Journey Metro East. We were a site of the Journey Church, um, which is a, a large multi-site church in, in St. Louis. Um, so four years ago, we launched. Four years and four months ago, um, I sat down with uh, with Darren Patrick, the lead pastor at the Journey, and the elders over there to discuss our going independent. We had been in conversations um, for about six months. At that point, it was clear that God was doing something unique over here. That that um, there were a lot of things coming together that that um, would make it actually feasible and and potentially really exciting to to take one of the sites of the Journey and and launch it as an independent church. So I came to that meeting fully prepared. Um, the Journey is a, a large organization and they have developed um, a, a, a very high standards for the way they do their business plans. So I came and I had, I had laid out a year-long plan of transition for how the Journey Metro East was going to move into becoming a church, an independent church. I had no idea what the name would be at that point. Um, and I had broke it down into four quarters with with matrices and and goals and all the things people that Love Excel love. Um, and that was a, it was a lot of work because I don't like Excel. Um, and so I'm sitting there and I've got this thing sitting on the table and I'm, and I'm just waiting for my chance to slide it across the table so I can convince these guys that, um, that we're ready to go. And, and Darren looks at me and he's like, just very, he's like, Steve, I just need to know one thing. Are you guys ready? Do you think you can lead this thing? Can this church be independent? And I was like, yeah. He's like, let's do it. He's like, in fact, let's do it in January which was four months. So my plan, which was four quarters, got compressed into four months. And the next four months were um, incredibly chaotic. <laughs> I was incredibly excited. It didn't take me long to to tell him, yes, uh, it was immediate. Um, it, but it, it didn't dawn on me until later how much work that meant. We had tons of legal paperwork to do. Um, I, I, we had to envision the core group. We had to create a legal board. We had to draw up... Um, papers. We had to find a Sunday morning gathering space. We were meeting on Sunday nights. We, we, we had to, um, we had to name the church. You ever tried to name a church? I doubt it. It's really hard. I will tell you that. Um, I've named kids, and it's harder to name a church because with, with kids, there's just two people involved. Um, with a church, at that point, I had about 100 people that were really committed to the core of the church, and and of course, they all had opinions, and, and, and someday maybe I'll tell you the story about how we ended up with Trailhead. In fact, I think I will, but not this morning. Um, but we had to name the church, and, and, and in that process, in that little window of chaos, I just started dreaming. What, what is my dream for this church? What is God putting in my heart? As far as man, when, when we look ahead at at what this church, what Trailhead Church would become, what did I dream it would become? And in that process, I wrote out what would become the seed of our of our mission statement. I had a number of people helping. Um, I was bouncing ideas and and sentences and things around. But we kind of came up with this: Trailhead Church will. Walk in Christ as a diverse community on mission to experience and share the love of Christ. As I was just thinking about man, what, what do I dream will define Trailhead Church? It wasn't its size, it wasn't its it was this, I mean really, that 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 Trailhead Church would be marked, would become this this, this group that will walk in Christ as a diverse community on mission to experience and share the love of Christ. Now that became simplified to our current mission statement, Walking in Christ as a Community on Mission. Uh, you'll see that all over the place. It's on our bulletins. We, we, we put it on our website. We, we keep pushing it out there. And each year, I actually take um, three weeks uh, to, to preach through this, to, to highlight this mission statement and unpack it, because I never really want us to get too far away from it. A lot of times, mission statements are things that are idealistic intentions for an organization. It gets put on a plaque, gets put on a wall, and then everybody forgets about it. And they just kind of pursue whatever's in front of them. And so if something starts giving them success, they start chasing it down. And pretty soon, you end up with mission drift, where you have an organization that that may be successful in a lot of things, but those things are not connected in a real and lively way to the original mission of the organization. And so it's incredibly important to me that this doesn't simply become a soundbite, that it is, in fact, the goal that we keep in front of us of who we want to become as a church, as a people. There are three elements in this, in this mission statement that focus on really the key, three key relationships that, that define our life, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with our community and, and those outside of the faith and, and, and the world around us. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at that first key relationship. What does it mean to be walking in Christ. Next week, we're going to take a look at, at how we do that in relationship with one another, what it means to do that in community. Uh, we are a, a group of, of broken, sinful people. No revelation there, no insult intended, but it's reality, right? If you hang around here more than five minutes, you're going to find out that, that there are broken, sinful people here that are trying to learn what it means to walk in grace and to grow in grace. And that's beautiful, and that is hard. And so we're going to talk next week about the beauty and the challenge of what it means to, to walk in Christ in community. And the week after that, we're actually going to be gathering down at the Wildy. So that's three weeks or, or this week and then next week and then the week after. So the last Sunday in January, mark your calendars, at 10 a.m., we're going to be down the street at the Wildy for a single gathering. For the first time in Trailhead's history, we're going to have a single gathering where, where the entire church can gather for a worship service. So if you show up here at 9.30 or 11.15, you're going to be alone. Okay? We're, we're not going to be here. So, so please mark your calendar. We're doing our best to get this information out so you can, you can know. We're going to be down at the wildy. But, but that week, what we're going to take a look at is, is how we foster our relationship with the community in, in the gospel, how we, how we um, share um, the love of Christ both in word and in deed, with, with, with our neighbors and with our community in a way that is redemptive and, and in, in line with the breaking in of the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to be looking at that foundational relationship, our relationship with God. What does it mean that we are walking in Christ? Now, as a former English, te- English teacher, um, words are very important to me and, and prepositions are very important to me. Prepositions are, are words that show relationship right? Um, And I used to love teaching prepositional phrases. I won't do that this morning. But very simply, the question that first has to be asked is, why do we say walking in Christ? It's kind of a strange thing to say, actually, (laughs) when you think about it. Christ is a person. He's not an idea, right? He's not simply a set of values. He's a, a living person. So why don't we say walking with Christ, or or walking alongside Christ, or walking by Christ. Or some of you are like, Steve, man, you need to get in the right. All right, walking behind Christ, right? Um, where he's the leader. And I'm, what does it mean to be walking in Christ? Why that preposition? Very simply, it's because it emphasizes the theological concept of, of union. There is at the heart of the gospel an invitation to union, With God. And in fact, Colossians chapter 3, the passage we read this morning, really kind of briefly unpacks this mystery of what it means to be in union with Christ. In verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, you guys, that's kind of a strange statement. What does it mean that if then you have been raised with Christ? I mean, I wasn't even alive when Jesus lived and died and rose again, right? In what sense have I been raised with Christ? Right. Um, very simply, what he's saying is is you're in union with Christ, right? In in verse three, he goes on and he says, "For you have died." <laughs> no, not yet, thankfully. What does he mean that you have died? You've 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 been raised, you've you've ascended. There's a reference to the ascension there. Now here's a, a reference to the the cross. What does he mean? See, Paul is opening the curtain on this mystery of union. See, when you believe in Jesus, you don't just change religious camps. You don't just join a new social club. You don't just take a new moniker to your name or, or um, get a, a membership card to a, a new group. When you believe in Jesus, you are spiritually united with Jesus so fully that when, when God looks at you, he sees Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, He did it for you. Right? He did it as your substitute. He, he came to, to take the, 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 um, the crushing weight of your sin upon Himself and to bear God's judgment of that sin in, in your place. He, he did that for you. He took your guilt. He took your shame. And when He rose, He rose in victory. He, it showed that the price was fully paid, that God was fully satisfied. And when you believe in Him, you're united with Him. You are in Him. His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. His ascension is your ascension. You are in Christ, which means that you receive or God sees you as receiving the benefit of His work. It's kind of like the story in the Old Testament of Noah. Many of us are familiar with that. All of us, I suppose. It's a very culturally familiar story, right? Noah was was, uh, warned that there was a judgment coming and told to build an ark. And he built that ark, and he climbed into the ark with his family, and a judgment came, and, and Noah and his family were delivered safely to the other side of the judgment, right? They were in the ark, and the ark withstood the judgment. It took the pouring out of judgment and delivered them safely to the other side. Only in our case, our safety wasn't made sure by by the integrity of the hull of a ship. It, it It was made safe by the integrity of an indestructible life, that Christ lived the life we should have lived so that He could ultimately die the death we deserved to die. See, if you believed in Jesus, your life is hidden with Christ in God. But that's not just poetical metaphor. It's a mystery that God is pulling back and saying there, there has been a union. When you believe in Jesus, there's a union that takes place. That while you don't see it, and, and you don't necessarily feel it, it's very true and very real. And this union is, in fact, the first and foundational blessing of the gospel. This message of good news that Jesus lived for you and died for you and rose again for you so that you could have new life in Him. God will redeem your life and restore it. He will bless you and set you free. But those are ultimately the byproducts of your union, not the primary blessing. See, God Himself is the greatest blessing. Because when we are in Christ, we ultimately find everything we truly long for. Consider for a moment what what the Bible says is in Christ. I mean, this is kind of the questions I was sitting in, and I'm like, why would anybody... I mean, union, okay? Union with Christ is this great blessing of the gospel. Why would we want to be in Christ? What is the the draw? Well, you guys turn back. Take your Bibles. You're in Colossians chapter 3. Turn back one page to Colossians chapter 1, okay? One page back to Colossians chapter 1. I want you to take a look at some verses with me, starting in verse 15. This is a, a, a description of Jesus. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In other words, the perfect imprint, not, not simply saying that He is an image like a photocopy, but He is the perfect representation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It doesn't mean He was the first one created, as we'll see later on, all things were created through Him. What it means is that He has a position of preeminence in creation, The firstborn in in a Hebrew family was the one who was the representative of the family, the one who was the primary inheritor of all of its wealth and glory. So he has a position of preeminence, right? For by him all things were created. That means not himself. He couldn't create himself. But all things that were created were created through him in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. He is eternal in His nature. And in Him, all things hold together, this great mystery that He is the one who actually not only created it, but continues to sustain it. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be Preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Of his cross, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Drop down to verse 27. To them that Paul's referring to those that receive grace, or us as believers. So, us as believers, God chose to make known. Great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, I, I can't unpack obviously everything that's in this passage, but let me ask very simply what is in Christ? Very simply, all the fullness of God, all the riches of God's glory. Now, it's a little bit strange language, all the fullness of God. It's poetic, obviously. It's metaphorical because it's trying to to describe something that is in some ways indescribable. But what it means is this. All of your deepest desires, every hunger of your soul is ultimately seeking to be satisfied in God. Every hunger of your soul for love, for creativity, for affirmation, for for a feeling of, of importance. Those desires were ultimately designed to be fulfilled in the fullness of God. The fullness of God resides in Christ. He is the fullness that the emptiness of your soul craves. He's the glory. He is the warmth, the, 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 the perfection, the shining affirmation, the, the approval, the success that, that you so deeply desire. Everything else in this world that is a reflection, is just a reflection, a facet, if you will, that, that reflects the true glory, which is Christ. So every human love, every human glory, every human sense of fulfillment, while real and powerful, is temporal and cannot truly and deeply satisfy. It's in a sense an appetizer for the greater meal. It is a pointer to the truer purpose, which is in Christ. See, as powerful and as important as these human experiences are, and they are important, they're just reflections. They're designed to to magnify the greater purpose. And God uses them now to point us to the greater fulfillment. They are good, but they cannot ultimately satisfy. We know this. This is the story of human history, right? These things, while they're real and wonderful, are not ultimate. When you look at the human history, all you see is, is ultimately a brutal ugly story of mankind trying to find the fullness of God in the creation of God, looking to things that are temporal to try to feed needs that are eternal. And as a result, that hunger drives to an insanity where people destroy everything around them and themselves in an attempt to have these deep hungers met by things that cannot meet them. They ultimately seek to find in what God created, what only God Himself can give. In Christ is the fullness of God. See, the great tragedy of our sin against God wasn't that we were condemned. I mean, that's bad news. It's bad news to be on the bad side of God. When God, the righteous judge of the universe, looks at you and says, you don't measure up, you are unrighteous, you cannot come into my presence because you're unholy. And my holiness is a consuming fire, and you couldn't tolerate my presence. See, that's bad news, but it's not the worst news. The great tragedy of our sin against God is that we lost the one relationship that gave meaning and fullness and purpose to everything in life, and it left us with an insane need to pursue and consume things that can't fulfill as if they could. To keep setting our hopes, keep setting our desires, keep ch- chasing goals that ultimately we know are going to disappoint in the end, no matter how fulfilling they are in the moment. So, what's in Christ? All the fullness of God. That's why our union with Christ is the greatest blessing of the gospel to us. Since our sin kept us from being united with a holy God. Jesus became our sin on our behalf, demonstrating His immeasurable love by becoming our substitute in judgment so that we could be united with Him in His righteousness. You guys, this is the promise of the gospel, the good news that God has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And He did it all in Christ, and the benefits are all found in Christ. All the blessings of the gospel flow from union with Christ. You catch what I'm saying? Union with Christ is the central blessing and promise of the gospel, and all other blessings flow from that source. So in order for us to experience the fullness of God in Christ, we needed Him to pay the price of our sin because our sin was, was the, the gulf between us and God, a gulf we couldn't cross. Scripture says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, which which is a a graphic metaphorical way of saying we were powerless to fix our own problem. In the same way a corpse can't make itself look any more attractive, we simply could not do anything to solve our own problem. So God did for us in Christ what we could not do for ourselves. The theological word for for Him paying this price is redemption. Redemption. And that redemption is found in Christ. It's one of the great blessings of being in Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says this, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The word redemption um, comes from the ancient slave market. This was a word that you know, the, the New Testament writers didn't make it up. They, they borrowed it from culture. And in culture, this, use, this word was used in the slave market. To redeem means to, to purchase. So a slave in the ancient world, um, most of the slaves, many times they were in slavery because they owed debts. And as a result of their debt, they, they became um, servants uh, that were bound in servitude to pay that debt. And so they would serve for a period of time, to ultimately repay a debt they couldn't pay. Sometimes the debt was so great that they would be in servitude for their entire lives. And unless that debt was paid, they were helpless to free themselves. Our debt was sin. And the price was too high for us to pay. We were bound in our, in our slavery to sin and into the consequence of our sin. It was a debt that had to be paid for us to be set free. And ultimately, the price of that debt was Christ's blood. He paid the price. I love this verse because it says he paid it from the riches of his grace. In other words, his motivation in paying that price was love. But love that wasn't bound to someone earning its merit. Almost all human love ultimately is dependent on our ability to to attract it right? Anybody who's been in the dating scene um, knows this, right? For you to date, you ultimately have to in some way attract the person who will date you, right? And so we primp and we pretty ourselves or we make ourselves look better than we are or or we try to figure out what, what are they like, right? Who are they and how can I represent? Because what we're trying to do is identify ourselves with things that give them warm feelings, right? I mean, ultimately, if you love that, then, if I become part of that you 'll maybe love me right, and we still do that after we're after we 're dating or married we we think about what what are the things that I can wear, or say or do that that will that will give them warm feelings toward me our our whole experience of love tells us that it's conditional, our whole experience of love reinforces into our souls this idea that that it is somewhat dependent on our ability to earn it. See, the beauty of grace is that it's completely unearned love. It's, it's a love that is based in the choice of God. He didn't love us because He found us attractive. He didn't love us because He, he was, you know, indescribably drawn to our beauty, right? It wasn't that, that He was love struck. It was that He chose to love us in our unlovable state. The motivation of the price that He paid was a choice to love. And in that love, to make us lovable. And in that love, to free us from what made us enemies. To pay the enemy's price so that he could take his enemy and make that enemy his friend. He paid the price from the riches of his grace. Love not bound to merit. Love freely given. not Love not waiting to be earned. So in Christ, we have Redemption. In our union with Christ, we, we have the, the price that was paid to free us from the debt that enslaved us to sin. And in that redemption, we have not only the, the freedom from that debt, but the freedom to what we were created to be, that there is a releasing, of potentially releasing to what was intended to be. We've been set free. Now, that redemption leads to uh, a discussion of another term, which is a legal term because He paid the price of redemption, we have been justified. Romans uh, 3, verse 24 and, and eight-one uh, explain justification and describe it a little bit. It says, "...we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus." The word justified comes from the court of law. The word redeemed came from the slave trade market. The word justified comes from a court of law, and it was a a term that was used to to describe uh, what would happen when a defendant came before a judge and the judge declared over him that there was no guilt found in him. He was justified. He was declared right. It was a legal verdict that was absolute in its statement. The more powerful the court, the more powerful the statement. So when God declares over us, you are right. Because you have been redeemed, because Christ paid the price for you, all of your sin, the sin you committed, the sin you are committing, the sin you will commit, you are right. His declaration is absolute and irreversible. We are justified. We are declared right. By his grace. Remember, there's that that undeserved love as a gift, not because we merit it, not because we earn it, but because he loves us. And it comes through the redemptive price, the, the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we were redeemed, Jesus paid our price, we are justified. We are declared as right as Jesus is right. Our justification is in Christ. Because when we believe in Jesus, He removes our sin and we are covered with Him. But God doesn't stop there. Having been redeemed and having been justified, we are adopted in Christ into the family of God. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. See, when you believe in Jesus, you're united with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit ultimately comes and indwells you. God, the Trinity, right? One what, three who's, the great mystery. Um, Hard to explain, uh, and the deeper you go into it, the more your head hurts, but here's the thing. God is absolutely committed to to the redemption and restoration of lost sinners through the work of Jesus. So when we believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and indwells the new believer. And when He comes and indwells us, He has a very specific ministry to us. He's active within us. okay? In this mysterious sense in which He comes and dwells with us in the unity that we have in Christ, the Spirit of God quietly assures us, talks, us, comforts us, calms us, reminds us, you're not who you used to be. You're not what you did. You're part of a new family. You have a new name and a new identity that comes not from being in who you were, but in who I've declared you to be in Jesus. Jesus. You've been adopted into the family of God, and that actually leads us to be able to call upon the sovereign God of the universe as Abba Father. Abba was one of the first words a Hebrew child would say, kind of like our daddy, you know? Uh, you know how excited we get as, as parents, when our parents when our kids for the first time look at us, and Mama, you know, that he said it. No. I mean, it's usually he says it long before he, he knows what he's saying. But, but you know what it is when they actually know what they're saying. They look at you and it's Mama or Dad. It's this sense of, of intimacy. It's a sense of trust. It is this simple declaration of relationship. It is your child looking at you saying, I am yours and you are mine. The Spirit of God moves in our hearts to comfort us, calm us, and lead us to a place of confidence in our relationship with God. We have been adopted and we've been indwelt by the Spirit of God who reinforces that adoption and leads us to remind us that we are sons of God. Now, some of you can say, oh, there's an example of that sexist language thing, right? Why not daughters of God or children of God? Why sons of God? Um, I'm going to tell you, this is actually the exact opposite of sexism. Um, in that culture, sons were the ones who had legal standing in the family. Sons were the ones who could receive an inheritance. Sons were the ones who could go to court. Sons were the ones who ultimately, in that sexist culture, could act with the autonomy and the full authority of being in the family. What, what, what the Scripture is telling us here is it doesn't matter what your gender is. You are a son of God. What that means is that you have full standing with God. Every believer comes with the same claim, the same position, the same privilege, and the same authority. Every person, male or female, has the same legal standing. And every person who believes in Jesus stands before God with the same rights and the same privileges because we have been redeemed, we have been justified, we have been adopted. And because of that, we have a future. Because of that, we have an inheritance. Take a look at Ephesians 1.11 and 13 through 14. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Because we are in Christ, we share in His inheritance. Romans 8 tells us that we are, in fact, co-heirs with Christ. So what is that inheritance? What is this thing that we will inherit in the future? Well, very simply, it is all the fullness of God. It is what is in Christ, everything He is and everything He gives, our inheritance is the gift of God Himself. You guys, that's why the Spirit was given as a seal and guarantee of that inheritance, right? The Spirit was given as a seal of our inheritance, in the ancient times, a seal was put on an official document. What they would take is roll something up and they put wax on it, and the seal was actually worn. In the king, it'd be like a signet ring, and they would actually press their ring into the soft wax, and it would harden. And then that document was safe in transit. Nobody would dare break the seal of the king except the recipient that was actually sent to. The greater the power of the king, the greater the security of the document. The Spirit of God is the seal of our inheritance in Christ. How powerfully has Christ redeemed us, justified us? How permanent is our adoption in Christ? It is sealed by the Spirit. It actually has God's signet ring on it. We will be delivered to glory because what we received was not based on our ability to earn it. Its benefits are not dependent on our ability to keep it. It is Christ who wins and Christ who keeps us secure. So the Spirit of God was given to us as a seal to mark us that we have an unbreakable connection in unity. He's also given us the guarantee or the down payment. That's really what that word guarantee means, a down payment of the inheritance, right? If our inheritance is, in fact, all the fullness of God, the Spirit of God begins as the first installment of that payment, when we become believers and the Spirit of God indwells us, it is the presence of God to affirm, to love, to strengthen, to free, to empower, to give us a foretaste of who we will become and what we will have in the full redemption when we are fully redeemed, when, when our broken bodies are, are redeemed and we are given uh, freed from the presence of, of sin. God will complete what he started. We will be his and he will be ours. All of these things are ours when we believe in Jesus. (laughs) When we believe in Jesus, we are united with Jesus. We are in Christ, which means that we are part of everything that is in Christ. So if these things are ours already, why in our, our mission statement. Do we focus on walking in Christ? What is the idea of of that progressive walking? Because while the fullness of God is ours in Christ, we we know, and you know this to be true, you're not fully experiencing the fullness you have in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but that isn't a static condition. We need to grow in our faith, and in growing in our faith, grow in our experience of what we have in Christ. See, this is the primary purpose of our existence, to grow in Christ, in our experience of what we have in Christ. That is the eternal purpose of our existence. You guys, our our experience of community is powerful and necessary. A lot of people come to church because of their need for community, right? To know and be known, to love and be loved. When you have a powerfully loving community, it is is something that is life-giving and enriching. And one of the things that I love about Trailhead is, is we have uh, consistent testimonies of people who, who are like, Holy cow, I've been known here and loved here in ways that, that were life changing. And that's awesome. Mission is important. Our mission to, to love and serve our neighbors, to, to share the love of Christ, both in word and in deed with others, is important. But you guys, these things are not primary, they're secondary they are the outgrowth of our relationship with God. While we may come to the gathering of the church because we have a felt need for purpose, for love, ultimately those felt needs are the appetizers that drive us to the true fulfillment. We all have social needs, but those needs are not the primary reason we're here. And we all have a need to serve and to do good things for others, but doing good for others is not the primary reason we are here. Trying to find community and do mission without first growing in our relationship with God is like trying to drive a, court with, a, a cart without a horse. Trying to, I'm going to move into community and I'm going to grow in community and I'm going to move out on mission and I'm going to love people, but you're not growing in your relationship with Christ. You're trying to move a cart without the horse that pulls it. You're trying to do something without the power that propels it. It will exhaust you. It will disappoint you and ultimately it will crush you. Many people walk away from the church frustrated and hurt because they were trying to get the benefits of Christ without moving into deeper relationship with Christ. How foolish. (laughs) And how unnecessary. God gives us Himself, and in Himself we find our other needs most powerfully met to truly love and serve those outside of the faith, to truly experience community. We need to walk more deeply in our relationship with God in Christ to keep our hearts humble and remind us that, that this whole thing is first about God's glory and only secondly about our good. He is, after all, the fullness of glory and goodness and love and power, the measure of all that is glorious. There's a quote in your bulletin um, from Grant Osborne, who's a theologian and and writer, but he says this, "'Love must be experienced to be complete. The self-centered believer is like a self-centered spouse. They are loved but remain unaware of it. It is a terrible tragedy to be loved by Christ.' and yet not respond to it. To be loved, but limited in your experience of that love, what he's saying is that that's the greatest tragedy. To have the unlimited wealth of of love, but to have a very limited experience of that love. It is to be immeasurably wealthy, but because of our refusal or inability to receive that wealth, to live in abject poverty. God gave us his all and will not rest until we experience his all. Jesus is not a means to an end. What that means is that we don't gather as a church primarily to get something from God. We don't meet primarily as a church to have our felt needs met. Those things will happen, but we meet to worship God. Because He is worthy of our adoration and our worship. We meet to get more of God. And we do it in community and we do it on mission. But He is the glorious beginning and He is the glorious end. You guys, the most important thing about Trailhead Church is that we're a community walking in Christ. I mean, hopefully there's, there's powerful worship music and hopefully tolerable preaching, and, and hopefully we are warm and friendly, and, and hopefully we are making an impact in our community, and we are loving people and serving people, and, and lives are, are, are ultimately being changed. But that is not the primary purpose or goal of the church. It's the byproduct. See, the most important thing about us is that we're loved by God, And the most important thing we can do is revel in that love. To experience that love more deeply, and more powerfully. To walk in Christ, discovering more of what it means to be in union with Christ. Guys, it's a glorious, glorious thing. To be redeemed and justified, adopted and to have an inheritance. And it's my goal for us, and my goal for my heart, and for this church, that we would be people undone by that grace, amazed at our God, and amazed at the love that God has poured out into our lives. You guys, we wrap up, um, I'm going to be putting some worship response questions on the screen. We're going to take some time, um, response time, and I'm going to ask you to pray and let the Spirit of God just lead you. I'm going to just create space to listen to God and, and, and let Him speak to you. Before I put the questions up there, I do want to remind you, we have those worship response cards in your bulletin. Um, if you're a guest here, we would love for you to fill it out and let us know you were here. Uh, we have response boxes up front and by the doors. If you have a prayer request, fill them out and drop them in. Our, our leadership team prays over those every week. We would love to pray with you and for you in connection with those. Um, if you're a first-time um, guest with us, we have a gift for you at Connection Point out in the lobby. Feel free to stop by. We're not going to get weird. We just want to say thank you and honor you for being here. Let's take a look at some response questions as we go into our time of response. First of all, have you believed in and are you growing in your faith in Jesus? Are you growing in your faith in Jesus? Not just do you have faith. Now, now maybe you don't. Maybe you're here and you're asking questions and, and, and you're processing and this is a safe place to ask questions. It's a safe place if, if you're not a follower of Christ to find out who we are and what we're about. We're, we're more than happy to just let you peer in a little bit to this whole Christian thing and, uh, and to talk to you about it, why it's so important to us and why we believe it. But believer in Christ, are you actively growing in your faith? Because if you're not actively growing in your faith, your heart is growing cold. Love is always moving. And it will either be moving toward the object we love or away. Some of the most powerful um, lessons that, that, that I try to communicate to people that are struggling in their marriage. We have to discipline our hearts that our love is constantly moving toward our spouse, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. My question for you is how are you actively growing in your love for God? Is your faith growing? Are you investing in it? Are you moving toward God? Secondly, in which blessings of oneness do you need to grow in the gratitude of faith? Here's the thing. Faith is a response to truth. Our love is a response to God's love. We love Him because He first loved us. We don't initiate anything. We don't do any kind of performance to earn God's favor. We simply respond to God's performance for us. So here's my question for you Which of these blessings do you need to grow in gratitude for? Your redemption, that God has redeemed you from who you were and has declared you to be someone new. Not not just declared it, but has actually put you on the track to full redemption, that you will be made new. That that your, your person, your work, your dreams, your ambitions will be redeemed, both personally and universally. You have been justified, which means that your guilt for things you've done, your shame for who you were are not yours anymore. He took them. He died for them, and He declared you to be someone new. Is it your adoption? That you are so loved that you've not only been declared right, but you've been brought near. See, God doesn't just set us right and then say, okay, now live a nice life. He says you are right and invites us to the table. His table. Are you feasting at that table? Do you remind yourself and bring your heart to that place where the Spirit of God is comforting you and telling you and reminding you to call out, Abba, Father, so that there's that intimacy and softness in your heart? Are you giving thanks for your inheritance? That there is, in fact, a big picture that makes sense of the small picture? That God's telling a story that's greater than your story, that will redeem and engulf your story, that at the end of the day will make sense of all the craziness of your life, the good and the bad, that God is ultimately determined to engulf you in His glory so that your story disappears into His, and it's a story of of, of beauty and glory. Are you growing in your gratitude for these things? Thirdly, how can you approach church in a more God-centered way? And I mean this you know, in the best way possible, very simply, is, is how are you preparing your heart? Are you coming simply to be entertained? Are you coming to simply be fed? Or are you, in fact, coming to have an encounter with God? Do you prepare your heart before you come in anticipation of meeting God in the gathering of the church? Do you prepare your heart in anticipation so that the Word of God is opened? you are anticipating the power of God in the presence of God? Are you prayerfully moving into that place of receptivity? Or do you come simply to consume? Because here's the thing. If you come to consume, you're missing the best part. How are you preparing your heart? As a church, we need to be growing these things. All right. I'm going to pray for us. We'll go on time of response. We'll share communion in a moment. Father God, I thank you for Trailhead Church. I thank you that you're the one that's raised... Um, this body up. As a gathering of people that are marked by your grace, are being changed by your grace, are being freed by your grace to live for your glory. Father, I pray for my friends, and I pray for myself that as we begin a new year, we wouldn't simply be consumed with things that are temporal and passing away. We wouldn't simply fill our vision with with the things around our house that need to be fixed or or our hope for promotion or our desire for more creature comforts or pleasures, that we would, in fact, renew our vision of the greatest blessing we've ever received. Spirit of God, that you would be echoing within our hearts even now that we are children of God, that we would, with integrity and Softness of heart. Come before the God of the universe. Simply saying, Abba, Father. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.